Welcome to the latest edition of our Fixed Interests podcast series. I'm Thomas Roekmaker, head of Asia-Pacific Sovereign Ratings. Today I'm joined by Brian Colton, Fitch's chief economist, and Jeremy Zuck, a director on Fitch's sovereign team and lead analyst for China. We'll be discussing the outlook for China's macro and sovereign outlook. So Brian, we've just made a pretty significant downward revision to our GDP growth forecast for 2023 to 4.8%, from 5.6% in June. What were the key factors driving our view of weaker growth performance this year? Yeah, thanks, Thomas. As you say, it was a pretty big adjustment in one forecast. I think the key driver has been our change of view on the outlook for the property sector. What seems to be happening now is that the property slump in China in terms of activity uh, is deepening. Uh, Back in June, our previous global economic outlook forecast, our assumption had been the property sector was broadly going to see a stabilisation. So we saw housing starts and sales probably flat, maybe down minus 5%. It now looks, given the recent data, uh, that we could be looking at housing sales and starts falling by a fifth again this year. Uh, and that, I think, is the is the key driver. But what we've also seen is that earlier uh, strong recovery in consumer spending that occurred after the zero COVID-19 pandemic restrictions were loosened at the turn of the year, that started to falter in, in recent months. And with policy not really stepping into the breach aggressively, we just felt that uh, growth slightly below 5% was the right place to put this forecast. So why is the outlook for the property sector such an important consideration for China's growth outlook? Well, first of all, it's just a question of scale. So we think property, the direct impacts of of housing construction and residential investment on the economy accounts for about 30% of overall investment. And of course, despite all the efforts over the last decade to rebalance the Chinese economy, investment is still 42% of GDP as of 2022. So uh, you combine those two numbers, you get something like 12% of GDP, direct impact of housing investment on the economy. Just by means of comparison, uh, the US in 2005, the peak of their housing boom, residential investment was just under 7% of GDP. So it's partly just a scale thing, but it's also the fact that in terms of the domestic demand cycle in China, property has always been a key driver of the swings in domestic demand. And it's been a key sector that the authorities have focused on when they wanted to stabilise growth. So how have the policymakers responded so far to, to weaker growth prospects? And do we expect any additional policy actions? Well, they clearly have moved policy, but from where I'm standing, it looks quite underwhelming, to be honest, relative to the uh, scale of the deterioration in the macro numbers. So we've had modest cuts in rates, we've had a 25 basis point cut in the in the RRR. We've had these macro prudential easing measures focused on tier one cities, al- allowing households to, to borrow more easily to purchase houses. And also some easing of local government bond quotas to sort of boost infrastructure. But I would say overall, the speed and the aggressiveness of this response has been quite mild relative to the pace of deterioration in the numbers. This this really is a rout in the property sector. Uh, and I'm surprised they haven't done more so far. So looking ahead, how do you see uh, yeah, the balance of risks for the economy and how are the prospects going into 2024? Well, this forecast of 4.8 this year, 4.6 next year, that does assume that we get some more policy easing. Uh, we anticipate more RR cuts, uh, further cut in interest rates, some more quasi-fiscal, more of what they've done so far, but more aggressively. And, and But we're not sure about that. And I also think that the, the risk's pretty much on the downside. Those numbers I gave you for the share of property in the economy 
they're the direct impact, but we know it has very strong multipliers across the rest of industry in China and important linkages to the financial sector. And that's the kind of known unknown, you know, how this property slump might affect uh, things in the financial system that could lead to a tightening of credit conditions more broadly in China. And that, I think, is a key source of downside risk. And of course, the other factor we have to think about for 2024 is that we're expecting a US recession. So what's already a weakening export sector uh, is going to see intensifying downward pressure on export demand in 2024. Jeremy, now I would like to turn to you to discuss how we see the outlook for China's sovereign rating at this juncture. First of all, how do we expect this growth slowdown to impact the sovereign rating? Well, we just affirmed China's A-plus rating at the end of August, and we did keep the outlook as stable. China still has a number of strengths, uh, ranging from its external finance position and its importance in the global economy and trading system. That being said, we did flag that there are a growing number of downside risks for the rating, given uh, the slowing growth that Brian just talked about and high economy-wide debt, as this is likely to increase the risk that some of this debt migrates directly onto the sovereign's balance sheet. And all of this comes on top of a uh, deterioration in public finance metrics over the past few years, which in our view has reduced some of the fiscal space uh, China has at the current rating level. Now, China does have a a very highly leveraged economy, particularly in the non-financial corporate sector, where debt stands at about 158% of GDP. A large portion of this debt is sitting at local government financing vehicles, or or LGFEs. Uh, And these LGFEs are already experiencing uh, financial strains. We think that this slowing nominal GDP growth and, and of course, this significant weakness in the property sector that Brian discussed will make it more difficult to manage uh, these high debt burdens in the coming years. And this poses greater risk that the sovereign balance sheet, again, because many of these in- indebted entities, uh, particularly the LGFEs, do, uh, you know, are, are perceived to have a bit of an, an implicit sovereign guarantee. Now, in our baseline, we we don't see the government using large-scale balance sheet support to resolve some of these risks, and they've given no indication of doing so. But more likely, we think there will be sort of a gradual erosion of the government's balance sheet uh, in the absence of a larger shock. Right. And you mentioned that the public finances have deteriorated over the, the past several years. And what was behind that deterioration, and how do we see the outlook for public finances? Well, during the pandemic, China, of course, saw a large increase in its fiscal deficits, an uptick in its debt ratio, as it sought to counter the economic disruptions from its its stringent COVID policies. Now, you know, this isn't all too dissimilar from what we've seen in other countries during the pandemic, but the increase in debt has been slightly more pronounced in China than it has been in peers. Per our measure of, of general government debt, we, we expect it to reach around 54% of GDP in 2023, which is just slightly above the single A median. But if you look before the pandemic, China was comfortably below the peer median and had a debt ratio of about 38% of GDP. So this relative deterioration has led to, again, that more limited fiscal space in a, in a rating sense. Now, in 2023, looking at, at the general government deficit, we 
see this remaining relatively elevated at 5.6%. That's down just slightly from 6.4% last year. But actually, if you look at the, the fiscal performance in the first half of the year, spending was really restrained. And so even a deficit of that level would mark a bit of a step up in spending in the second half of this year. We think local governments will sort of step in to use their remaining bond quotas to, to boost infrastructure spending. But beyond that, we, we don't really anticipate any large-scale fiscal stimulus. Again, the central government appears a bit hesitant to do so, and local governments are a bit revenue-constrained. But putting all this together, you know, we see gradual consolidation over the next several years, but that leads to sort of a continued uh, uptick in the debt ratio to about 58% of GDP. When we think about contingent liability risk for the sovereign's balance sheet, how much of a concern is the debt burden of, uh, of LGFVs? Well, this is a key factor for the sovereign rating. So we have a relatively narrow definition of government debt, and, and that only includes explicit central government and local government debt, and it excludes the stock of LGFE debt. Now, we do take one notch off of China's model rating outcome to sort of account in, in a crude sense for some of this LGFE debt risk. We don't publicly publish an estimate of LGFE debt, but if you look at estimates from other analysts in the market, this ranges from about 40% to as high as 55% of, of GDP. There are some challenges in classifying LGFEs, and uh, many of these are viewed as commercial entities by the government. But I think the key point is that a large share of these LGFEs do operate a bit under the assumption of, of implicit government support. Now, these LGFEs have come under quite some pressure recently, as, again, the property sector has led to falling land concession revenues for the local governments, and they've seen a bit of refinancing pressure. So we expect some balance sheet support to come from local governments. And, you know, if you look at recent media reports, there are uh, expectations that local governments, certain local governments will be allocated additional bond quotas in 2023 of about 1.2% of GDP to assume some of the debt of, of these stressed LGFEs. On the central government side, again, we don't really expect any direct bailouts. Um, you know, the central government pushes back on this, citing moral hazard risks. But I think to tackle the broader risks in the LGFE sector, we do expect a bit more provincial and local government coordination, some asset sales potentially, and bank restructurings. Now, ultimately, we do expect more LGFE debt to migrate onto the sovereign balance sheet over time. So I think the key question for the rating will be whether we think China still has sufficient fiscal space at the current rating level to manage some of these remaining contingent liability risks. Thanks for your insights, Brian and Jeremy, and thank you all for listening. For more information on our ratings and on our research on China, please visit us at FitchRatings.com. We hope you will join us for the next edition of Fixed Interests.